0: Well, happy Easter, everybody. So glad that you're joining us via the screen. Sure miss seeing all of your smiling faces as a pastor for obvious reasons. This is my favorite Sunday of the year. It's also the Sunday where several of you, on the way out the door, usually say to me, kind of slap on the side of the arm, and say, Great service, Pastor. See you at Christmas. <laughs> well, I hope we can see each other a little bit between now and then. Amen. Well, I thought we'd uh, maybe just remind ourselves of some of the, uh, the lighter side, shall we say, of some of what we've been enduring during our quarantine days. So I found a few images slash memes, memes. So kids, you get an opportunity to vote now. Vote for your favorite one. So let's take a look at some images from our culture quarantine. First one here. I'm not sure how the CDC feels about this particular person's mask. Um, they're obviously going with the uh, environmentally friendly edition with the head of lettuce, but I find it ironic that the holes are being exposed to the areas I think we're supposed to protect, are we not? Anyway, Next one. Yeah, this person's trying to obviously, you know, become a little entrepreneurial and maybe a future business leader, hundred bucks a roll. For our TP crisis, yeah, can you believe that one? All right, next one. Well, some of you on your shopping trips have felt like going Will Smiths on the story, right? I'm going to Costco. All right, next one. Now, all of you working from home, right? Some of you trying to be like productive and have young kids at home. This is your life. Yes, this is your life. All right, next one. For all you Friends fans out there, right, Joey says, 2020 is going to be my year, and then uh, maybe not. Coronavirus has spread within two weeks, so go Joey. All right, not to be outdone for the Office fans out there, Michael says that CDC, try to avoid touching your face, and one hour later, right? All right, Office fans. All right, one more for all the e-learning going on today. Shout out to the old people for graduating high school without Google. <laughs> All right, kids, you get to vote for your favorite ones. And in the Simpson house, right, the shelter in place, it's gotten to the point where Kaylin, our freshman in high school, who's a great baker, by the way, and she likes to bake and I love to eat. I know, it shows, right? I, lo- I love to eat. So last week, she made this amazing pan of brownies and she called a little family meeting and she's setting now. So, in the Simpson house, we have dessert portion control guidelines. Yes, it's come to this. She's cut the pan of brownies into the square sizes she's determined are appropriate, and then she looks straight at me and says, we're limited to two squares per day. What is happening in the world, church? What is happening? (laughs) Amen. Well, I know you sense it way beyond like brownie control portion guideline stuff going on. I think you sense what I sense and what our world senses is there's some some shifting taking place in the foundations and perhaps if not a shifting, at least a sifting and asking the questions of where are we going to find our deep-seated hope and security in the midst of maybe lots of things we've looked to that haven't quite delivered. When we think about the institutions of our world as important as they all are, I wrote down in my notes as we put our hope in science to deal with pandemics. We put our hope in education to stay ahead of the curve. We put our hope in psychology to deal with our mind and our emotions. We put our hope in Washington, D.C. to like pull us all together. We put our hope in Hollywood to distract and entertain us. And we put our hope in Silicon Valley for virtually everything else. And Would you agree with me that the the limitations of the institutions of our world are, even when they're functioning at full capacity, they they just can't quite deliver what our hearts are really longing for during this time. There's something that's rising up deep within, and I happen to believe when God wants to make sure we don't miss the point, he, He plants it in our instincts. I think our instincts are rising during Easter 2020, and our instinct says that our hope is being, uh, that there's a groaning for hope that's uh, more secure and more stable, that's something that's going to endure and last than just what the institutions of this world are maybe able to deliver. So this morning, whether you're joining us for the first time since Christmas, if that's you, I'm so glad you're joining us for that, or maybe you're a regular and being a part of the body of Christ gatherings around the world. I want to invite you today to look into a passage in the New Testament that I think puts language to what we're collectively experiencing during these days. I've entitled the message, Groaning for Hope groaning for hope. So if you have a Bible near you, open it up to Romans chapter 8. If you haven't already got a hold of the message notes, your online host can direct you on how to get those. And we're going to look at Romans 8. We're going to look at a couple of paragraphs here, beginning in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us Now look back at I Consider. So the I here is the Apostle Paul who wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. He's been a follower of Jesus for a little over 20 years because the re- resurrection took place a little over 20 years prior. So Paul becomes an early follower of Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. And then God drafts him into his story and he becomes a, a very prominent kind of face of the evangelical Christian movement. That Paul would go into territories, in this case, that he's writing a letter to the church in Rome. And notice what he says, he considers his present sufferings. So I want you to think of the Apostle Paul's like present everyday life is kind of COVID-19 pandemic-like for Paul, most of his adult life, especially after he decided to follow Jesus. So he was regularly put in like social distancing and isolation, mainly by the religious leaders who weren't fond of what he was doing. And then he was also kind of quarantined in jail cell setups, mainly by the government leaders who weren't appreciative of what he was doing. And he was dealing in an environment where death and poverty and disease were just rampant in the first century Middle East. So here's Paul, who I think all of us would conclude, when you looked at his everyday life, we would say, man, he's really, really hard. Like Paul's eight to five or eight to eight is just hard. Not unlike where Easter 2020 finds many of you, right? Maybe it has anything to do with the global pandemic. Maybe it's your own personal pandemic that you're going through these days. Could be cancer treatments, could be loss of a loved one, could be turmoil at home, could be challenges on the work front, job loss, financial insecurity, the mental and emotional stress of the whole thing, present sufferings. Paul says, I consider. He knows what what we're going through here. Now, stay with me. Look at verse 19. It says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Circle in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So moms, moms, can, we, can I get an amen from you there in verse 22 with Paul? Paul says the groanings of this present age are like a woman in, enduring the pains of childbirth. Now, men, we got nothing to offer here on commentary on this, right? We need to look to the ladies to give us any perspective. Mom, this is the perspective that Paul wants to insert, like to get a handle on the groaning for hope that's occurring here. In our present age, it's that kind of space. And I want to look at three observations now from these couple of paragraphs. And the first one, I put in your notes and wrote it out this way, that this life comes with an ache of incompleteness, an ache of incompleteness. Now to help us understand it a little bit is that we need to understand when Paul viewed time like any other early Jewish writer would have viewed time if they were raised in a Judeo environment, there would be like a, their perspective of time, the framework would be this, twofold, this present age and the age to come. So this present age would be Genesis 3 until now. This present age would involve, in the language of Romans 8, subjected to frustration, in bondage to decay. Poverty, disease, famine, injustice, oppression, evil, darkness, death, pandemics. This present age. That's one era of time Paul would have in his mind in writing. And then the second era, the way he viewed time, is the age to come. Which would be language for new heaven and new earth. The place of the no-longers, the no longer any sin, no longer any ventilators or viruses, no longer any IVs or morphine drips, no longer any disease or suffering or death. In the age to come, things are as they're supposed to be. So to say it another way, Romans 8 is framed around this kind of time capsule, current is not eternal. In other words, the way things are right now is not the way they'll always be. But current is marked with this ache of incompleteness, this yearning for things to be set right. In the language of Romans 8, this groaning. Have you been feeling the weight of the groaning lately? I mean, students, students, I know you've been groaning. I know you have, this is not how your spring semester was supposed to go. Graduates, I've been thinking about all the seniors and just how you've been grown. This is not how your senior year was supposed to wind up. This is not how your commencement celebrations and graduation parties were supposed to unfold. There's a a groaning there. Or everyone in our medical community, doctors and nurses and in our civic leaders, our, our EMT and our fire and police. This is not how your everyday work environment is supposed to be. Or groaning on the family front where there's weddings and there's celebrations and there's vacations that have been canceled or postponed. Or in the church world, there's like mission trips and ministry appointments and all that have been canceled, postponed. Or how about this? Easter Sunday, the auditorium in Jesus' church is empty. This is the groaning. This is the ache. In the language of what um, German theologian Karl Rainer said, I put this quote in your notes, in this life, all our symphonies remain unfinished. Boy, you feel that today? Man, I've been feeling that. Going to bed at night and just thinking, yeah, it's like, it's like our symphonies are unfinished. This isn't, this isn't how this is supposed to be. This isn't how the headlines are supposed to be going. And no matter how much you accomplish or achieve, no matter how great of a life you carve out in this life, no matter how high up the socioeconomic ladder do you go, here's what you're going to find. Romans 8 says we're going to have to come to grips with, in this present age, there will be a gnawing on the inside, an ache of incompleteness, the sense of an unfinished symphony, that things are not as they're supposed to be. And the term Paul attaches to that is groaning. There's a groaning. I think it's a groaning for hope today. And the source of this groaning, I put second reflection here from the text, is the core issue. Our temptation is to look external, to place blame and to point finger at all the external issues. The core issue isn't really external, it's internal in the language of the Bible, it's the human condition, the sinful nature, the flesh. The main problem isn't with the government. It isn't with politics. It isn't with the educational system. The main problem isn't like um, a new economic policy we need. The main problem, if we're really honest in what Paul's driving at here, the main problem is it's really inside. All of us. No one's exempt. The the main problem is, and I think the scientific data is in, and that's some of what's surfacing now. There's a kind of a new movement going on in evolutionary psychology where a lot of evolutionary psychologists are coming to Jesus. Why? Because guys like what I put in your notes, Dr. Jordan Peterson, he says this, if society is corrupt, but not the individuals within it, then where did the corruption originate and how did it propagate? Yes, yes. The scientific data is catching up with what the New Testament has been saying for 2,000 years. Paul wrote in the previous chapter in Romans 7, look what Paul said. He said, here's where it originated, here's where it propagated. Paul said, for I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Man, anybody been there? You want to do the right thing, you just can't do it. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Man, that's a commentary for families. Shut up and shelter in place, right there. Anybody feeling Romans seven pretty strong in the household these days? Paul says the issue's in here. It's in the heart. John Ortberg, he's a pastor out in uh, California these days. And when he was uh, earlier in his ministry, he's up in Chicago. He had a good friend who had a daughter named Shauna, and they were over at the friend's house. And Shauna was a really strong, year, strong-willed four-year-old child. And so Shauna and her mom were out front, and mom set the boundaries for the tricycle riding out front. Said, Shauna, you can go over here to this big tree on this side and to the driveway here. Big tree to driveway. Shauna, your tricycle has to stay between these two. If you go across those boundaries, mom will have to spank you. Shauna paused, that strong-willed face. She took like four steps towards her mom, Turned her backside to her mom and said, Mom, you might as well spank me now because I got places to go. (laughs) That's it right there. I'm guessing, moms, some of you have been dealing with that dynamic during shelter in place, right? The issue isn't external. The issue is internal. The reason the groaning of this present age is to the degree it is, it's because Genesis 3 says there's something that's been inserted into the human heart. And we push way beyond tricycle boundaries. We move into relational boundaries as we grow. And we've got integrity boundaries and financial boundaries and sexuality boundaries. We push all these boundaries. We don't have to learn how to do it. We've inherited it. The issue is in here. So if we're really honest, the groaning for hope is also rooted in this groaning for things to be set right in here. Not just out there. And actually the Bible says for anything to get set right out there in the institutions of this world, they have to get set right in the institutions of the human heart who make up all the entities of this world. So first reflection from Romans 8 here is talking about groaning for hope. Paul says, hey, in the midst of this groaning, just recognize this present age. This present age comes with an ache of incompleteness. An unfinished symphony will always be playing. And the roots of it are not really external. They're really internal. And then thirdly, stay with me now. Verse 23, look what Paul says. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this circle, in this hope, we were Saved. So I wrote it this way. Third reflection is hope is found in resurrection. Hope is found in resurrection. Look back there in verse 23. See first fruits of the Spirit, and then you see the phrase redemption of our bodies. That's kind of it's a pointer to the resurrection of Jesus. So I want you to think of it this way: For, for Paul, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was like a portal of passage from this present age into the age to come. It was like a portal. It was like what Jesus prayed. Do you remember in the, uh, when, in the Lord's Prayer? He said, when, the, when Jesus prayed, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, hey, make up there, come down here. Do you see this portal? One of the ways up there came down here is when Jesus rolled the stone away and walked out of the grave. That there was this portal, this passage of the way things are supposed to be, the age that is to come. And Jesus brought a splash of the age to come into this present age when he rose from the grave. And so Paul says, That's the hope. And the, see that in, in verse 24. That's the hope in which we were saved. What's that hope? Hear this now. The hope is that what happened to Jesus will happen to us. You see the phrase, redemption of whose bodies? Our bodies. The hope is this, church, what happened to Jesus can happen to us. The hope is that our present sufferings right now are not the end of the story. The hope is that current is not eternal. Hallelujah. The hope is that when Jesus was shut up behind that tomb and the Roman leaders and the Jewish officials thought it was game over, the hope is this, the story's not over there. The hope is that whatever it is we feel shut up and sealed behind, some of you feel that way today. I want to speak to someone who feels shut up on this Easter Sunday, who feels shut up behind some things. You feel shut up in a dysfunctional marriage. You feel shut up in grief. You feel shut up in anger and despair. You feel shut up in anxiety and depression. You feel shut up in an addiction that just is relentless and you thought has been broken free from and continues to have a stranglehold. You feel shut up inside of a body that's physically fading away faster than you ever imagined. You feel shut up behind some waves of overwhelming darkness. You feel shut up in the bondage of this present age. And where is our hope, church? Our hope is in this. Here's what Jesus says. Your hope is found in what? When he rolled that stone away, right? When he was shut up behind that stone. What man thought was a period at the end of the sentence, I guarantee Pilate and Caesar and Herod and the Jewish officials, they put a period at the end of Jesus' life. When they crucified him, laid him in the tomb, and rolled the stone away, and set the soldier there to guard it, and placed the seal on it. Right there, they put a period, end of Jesus of Nazareth's life. But, church, hear this now where man puts a period, God puts a comma. And where the comma says, this isn't the end of the story. Whatever you feel shut up and kind of sealed behind, it's not the end of the story. It doesn't mean the the weight of it doesn't automatically go away. But hear this. What happened to Jesus is going to happen to you and me in Jesus' name. The hope is this, that current is not eternal. Hear this now. The hope is that eternal for a follower of Jesus is resurrection. Eternal is resurrection. (laughs) Current is not eternal, but eternal is resurrection for any who choose to follow Jesus. Because the grounds of the hope are this, that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to you and to me and to any who follow him. That when Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose, the promise is this, we too will live, we too will die, and we too will rise. And church, that is is the hope that deep on the inside we're groaning for. That's a hope that sustains and delivers and endures. In the midst of living out these unfinished symphonies of life, in the midst of the groaning of the ache of incompleteness, in the midst of things that aren't set right on the inside, do you see how this the sense in which God's kind of mapped everything out to point us towards we're made for another world? We're made for another world, church and that world is marked with resurrection. You're made for it. That's what you're groaning for, resurrection. Listen to how N.T. Wright puts it. I put this quote in your notes because I thought it's one that I'd want you to reflect on this coming week. It said, the resurrection of Jesus (laughs) declared, hear this, that Jesus was not the ordinary sort of political leader, a rebel leader That some had supposed he was the leader of a far larger, far more radical revolution than anyone had ever supposed. He was inaugurating a whole new world, a new creation, a new way of being. He was forging a way into a new cosmos, a new era, a form of existence hinted at all along, but never before unveiled. Hear this. Here it is. He was saying, this is the new creation you've been waiting for. It's open for business. Come and join in. Come and join in, church. It's open for business. Man, during these days and the days and weeks ahead, there are going to be a whole lot of dialogue in our culture about when do we get to open the country back up for business. Appropriately so. Important discussions to be had. But hear this. Since Jesus rolled that stone away and walked out of the grave, the church has been open for business right? He's been in resurrection life. He's been moving and working and sustaining and helping and healing, right? The only thing canceled in Jesus' church since Resurrection Sunday 2,000 years ago is death. Death is canceled today, and that's our hope right there. Nothing else canceled in Jesus' church and resurrection. Death is canceled For 2,000 plus years, the church has been open, and no global pandemic is going to stop it. Just like world wars before wouldn't stop it. There's nothing and no one going to stop the kingdom of Jesus from flourishing. How confident and secure can we be in it? The grave is still empty today, church. Jesus lives. Jesus reigns. Jesus rules. And that's our groaning for hope. That's what you feel in here. You're made for another world. You're groaning for a hope that sustains, that endures, that provides some level of security and stability in the midst of everything that's shifting around us. That's why I believe, and I think history proves it, uh, the single greatest event in our world. It isn't the renaissance it's not the scientific era. It's not the enlightenment. It's not the industrial revolution. The single defining moment in human history is the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. More, are, more cards are held around that. There are more uh, realities attached to this day and this moment in human history than any other and like N.T. Wright said, when Jesus rose, what did he say at the end of that quote? It's what you've been waiting for. It's open for business. Come and join in. Follow, follow that instinct God's planted deep in here. I know you've been feeling it during these days. Feeling the instinct rise, that, that ache of the unfinished symphony sorting through some priorities of what's really essential, what matters most, and a groaning, a groaning for a hope that sustains and endures and delivers. You're made for another world. And today, Jesus brings the age to come and splashes it in to this present age. And he makes it available to anyone at any time, in any circumstance. So worship team, why don't you come back up. We're going to wrap up. We've got one final story. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And the prayer is going to be centered around, uh, maybe this Easter finds you, it's time to make some decisions Uh, Maybe through the course of this message, you felt the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, and and it's time to get some things set right between you and Him. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. But there's one final story that C.S. Lewis records in Chronicles of Narnia. And parents, if you haven't made your way through Chronicles of Narnia, if you've got kids at home during these quarantine days, I highly recommend the books and the movies. I think it'll be a good way to pass some hours. Outstanding. And the closing section of the Chronicles of Narnia, the closing book is called The Last Battle. And here's how he wraps it up. And for this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this present world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover of the title page. Hear this. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And today, Jesus says, that's available to you, to me, to everyone. Let's pray together. Just take a moment now and just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes wherever you're at in your living rooms or kitchen tables. And, and maybe this Easter morning, maybe your step between you and the Lord is to say this. Is... You want to do what Romans 8 says. You want to take a step to the hope in which you're saved that you want to say today, Jesus, save me. Maybe going about your life, your way, maybe the circumstances of this spring have just exposed a lot of things, and you say, you know what? You want to lay it all down, and you choose Jesus today. And all you simply have to do is pray in your heart, Jesus, save me. I know I've sinned. I've, I know I've fallen on my face. I, I know I've gone my own way and made a mess of things. Jesus, save me. I believe you died on a cross and rose from the dead. And I believe the groaning on the inside, I believe that groaning's really been pointing to you. So I choose you today. And then for others of you, this Easter finds you in some really tough space. You're personally going through it, your groaning's at a whole new decibel level, perhaps. And so I just want to encourage you to call out to him from this present age. Just call out to him and lean into his power to bring up there, down here. To bring the way things are in heaven as it can be on earth. They just splash some of that resurrection righteousness and orderliness and healing and hope. Just splash it into your life right now. Just breathe in his strength that you are not alone. You may feel shut up in all kinds of isolation, aloneness, but today, Jesus reminds you he's alive and he is with you. He is there and he is able. And there may be some others of you listening today and you've got all kinds of background and foundation. You've been a part of a lot of Easter services in your life and You know all these stories, but you've gotten distracted, you've drifted, you've wandered, and it's just, today's your day to, you know what, you're just going to turn around and come home. You can say, you know what, I know, and it's time for me to get re-centered back to my roots, to my foundation. I'm coming back. I'm going to rededicate myself this morning, this Easter morning, 2020, I recommit myself to you, Jesus. And you just say, Lord, here's my heart. Meet me, make me whole, lead me, fill me with your spirit. And then for everyone listening, Jesus, we just collectively right now, we just join the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 and we just collectively lean into our groaning and let it map us toward this groaning for hope. Thank you for rescuing us from all that we've been shut up behind. Thank you that the grave is empty. Thank you we don't have to fear death. The one thing canceled today is death in Jesus' name. We're so grateful for that. There's some listening maybe on the doorstep of death, and today your reminder is you don't have to be afraid. Jesus is with you. He holds your life in his hands, and those who die in Jesus go from life to life. Rest in that today. We worship you, resurrected Savior, in the name of the Father. Son and Holy Spirit, amen.